Well, welcome to Austin Chapel. Um, I'm glad that everybody's here today. We are continuing our series, The Secret to Bliss, right? We started this series last week at our big launch, um, which was a fantastic day and um, was just a lot of fun. And we started that series, and we started the series about The Secret to Bliss. We're not talking about some kind of euphoric, um, high, um, some out-of-mind kind of feeling. We're talking about true joy and true peace, a life that is not um, going to be swayed by the things that happen in your life, where you have true joy and true peace that are given to you by God, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, so that whether you are having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, or a bad year, it doesn't matter because this world can't rob you of the divine joy and the divine peace that God gives you. But oftentimes we set our peace and our joy on things that are in this world. And so when those things leave and when we no longer have a good job and we no longer uh, maybe have that girlfriend or maybe there's something that goes on financially and you're, you're broke, maybe then we start feeling depressed or things just aren't going the way we want them to. So we get upset and we get depressed. And, and the Lord says, you know, no, these things are not where you get your joy from. They should not be where you get your peace from. And if they are, you're going to be disappointed over and over and over again in your life. And this book of Philippians, he is continually telling us to find our joy and our peace in Jesus, to receive it from him. And it's a very positive book, which is funny because, as we said last week, Paul wrote it from prison. But it's a very joyous book, right? Like if you go to somebody's house and they've got some kind of framed scripture, if it's not from Psalms, it, odds are it might be from Philippians, right? My money would be on Philippians. They've got, there's so many good one-liners in Philippians, and you'll see them as we go through this series. There's just a lot of good one-liners. But the thing about Philippians is it's not just about us um, having good one-liners to, to say when we're having a bad day. Right? It's not just a, a book of positive quotes. It's a book that if we read and we really pay attention to the, to the words that he's teaching us, the truths that he's telling us, what we'll find is that we can have true peace and joy in every moment of our life through Christ who lives in us. And it won't have to be dependent on how things are going in our life. And Paul has every reason to preach this unhypocritically because he's in a very very low point. I want us to go ahead and, and read this portion here in Philippians 1. Uh, today's text is 1, um, 12 through 18. Um, in these verses here, we're going to read them real quick and then we'll break them down later. But just listen to some of the stuff he says, especially here in the beginning. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much, and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. 
and that in in that I rejoice. So he, he kind of tells them, hey, I want you to know that everything that is going on is actually proving to serve the gospel. And they've heard of his imprisonment. So let's, let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about Paul and how he got himself in the situation he was in. As we talked about last week, Paul was a man who was actually completely opposed to the gospel. Completely opposed to the gospel. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was this teacher of the Jewish law. And he saw these Christians as blasphemers, as these kind of heretics. And he hated them and wanted to destroy them. And so he is on this mission to destroy them. And he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus basically blasts him with his bright light. He loses his vision for a period of time. And during all that, um, Paul turns and gives his life over to the Lord. And Paul then becomes really the greatest missionary that we could arguably ever say existed. He goes from someone who was determined to kill, um, to destroy Christianity, determined to stomp it out. And then he goes from that. Just imagine. I mean, it's easy for us to, to forget the, like the severity of his transformation. He went from killing Christians, imprisoning them, to bringing the gospel to places that it had never been before. Isn't that amazing? It had never been before. And so as he's going out there and he's planting churches, um, he plants them kind of one after another over a period of years. And one of them was Philippi. And let's just talk about Philippi for a second since it is one of the, uh, it is the book we're going through and one of the churches that um, he writes to from prison. He planted their church and he, he wanted to go to Asia and God gives him this vision and says, no, you're not going to Asia. Basically, you are instead being called to Macedonia. And so as he's called to Macedonia, he's following the word from the Lord. He goes out there and he plants his church in Philippi and Philippi is a Roman colony. And when he gets there, he, he looks for people who maybe are already praying, who maybe already know um, the God of the Old Testament. And so he finds these women praying and they, they so this women's prayer group. And they, they didn't know Jesus, but they get together and they pray to the Lord. And he shares the gospel with them. And Lydia is this seller of purple. And that means she sold purple clothing. It was this whole process where you'd have to, certain kind of clams that had this gland that you could get purple from. And that's how they dyed purple. And it was a very expensive process, which means that she was probably a very rich woman because she sold very expensive clothes. And she is led to the Lord and, she, and then through her, um, Paul really begins probably what was like a community group or a small church plant, and they developed that. Then, something kind of crazy happens. This is going to all tie into our, our text today. Something kind of crazy happens. As Paul's out there in Philippi sharing the gospel with different people, there's this girl who is possessed by a demon and has the ability, apparently, to do some sort of fortune-telling. And the people um, were making money off of this demon-possessed girl. And she was following Paul around and going, oh, look who it is who, who preaches the gospel and, and, and tells of the Lord the Most High. And it sounds like she's saying good things, but, you know, there's two ways to say everything, right? It's like, you know, Alan's a, Alan's a really nice guy, or it's like, Alan's a really nice guy. Like, you can say sarcastically, right? And I believe that her tone was probably mocking him. And so Paul's kind of just letting her do it for a period of time. And then it gets to the point where Paul gets annoyed and he just casts the demon out of her. Well, what happened was the people that were making all the money off of her fortune teller, uh, fortune telling, get really upset. 
because now they have no source of income. And so they have Paul imprisoned and, and beaten. And while Paul and he's in, he's in jail and they start singing and the Lord opens the jail up. And this jailer, the Philippian jailer, uh, is about to kill himself because if you were a guard or a jailer and a prisoner got free, you got their sentence, right? It was incentive to do your job, right? So if it was capital punishment, which maybe some of the prisoners were, therefore, uh, you would have been killed. If it was a 20-year sentence, you would get that 20-year sentence. But Paul and the rest of the prisoners go, hey, we're all here. We're not leaving. And this guy ends up giving his life to the Lord, and his whole family ends up giving their life to the Lord. And so what happens in, in Philippi is you have this high of all these women who are already praying and praying for God to do something. And this great moment happens. And a whole community is developing, a church is starting, and then, you know, this girl's, a demon is cast out, and it's like, hi, hi, hi. And then it's like, low, beaten and thrown in jail. And what do they do? They don't go, God, what are you doing? How could you let us be in jail? Aren't we doing your mission? Why would you let this happen? They don't say that. They don't say that at all. They just start praising the Lord and the Lord does another work and leads more people to the Lord in a way that they would have never been able to do if they continued on the high. The low brought another opportunity for the gospel to keep going and for more people to hear. Okay, so some more time happens and Paul just continually has highs and lows. Highs and lows. Some cities, it's, the gospel blows up and churches are starting and they're appointing elders and pastors and everything. And in other cities, they're chased out or almost killed. And it just keeps happening this way over and over and over. And let's just hear it from Paul's own mouth. This is him writing to the Corinthians, telling them just a summary of his lows. So let's read those. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, it says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. These are the 39 lashes that Jesus received before he was crucified. And Paul says that he had that happen to him five times. Can you imagine what Paul's back looked like? One time, and your back is going to be completely scarred. Five times, he would have looked like a toad or something. You know what I mean? It would have been rough. Uh, 25, um, it says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. (laughs) He was at drift at sea for a night and a day. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches." He's like, yeah, that, and I'm just constantly worried about the churches and hoping they're doing well and hoping that heretics aren't coming in and hoping that they're turning to the Lord and continuing down that path. He says that he also has the anxiety over these churches. And he says, verse 29, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? Paul's like, yeah, like I did some great things through the Lord, right? Like the Lord was using me for these great highs. But let me tell you, there were a lot of lows. And as Paul is going through all these things and he's planning churches, highs and lows, highs and lows through this missionary life that he lived, he ends up back in Jerusalem. 
and preaching the gospel there. And they really, the Jews had plotted against him and arrest him. And they had spread some false rumors. Some of it was true, like him sharing the gospel. Other parts were not. And during that time, um, Paul basically begins to say, um, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm going to appeal to the Roman court. And so it's this whole long process that you can read through in Acts where Paul is being transferred from governor to governor, judge, whatever you want to call him, place to place, court to court, being tried. And Paul's heart, you know, Paul's heart through all that church planning, you see him in some of these letters. He kept writing about wanting to go to Rome. Paul had this vision of getting to go to Rome and plant a church. And, and get the gospel out there. But apparently, others had gotten there before him because he writes the letter of Romans without ever having been to Rome. So others had already planted churches there, but Paul still had this heart to go to Rome. And now he's imprisoned, and so he's calling upon his Roman citizenship, and he's asking to go to Rome. And, he, and from one governor to another, over a series of time, he finally gets to get, be in Rome and be tried there. And that's when he writes the letter of Philippians, to the Philippians, from Roman house arrest in Rome. So he couldn't go around. They had him in a small house. And what they would do is they'd have him on a short chain connected to a guard at all times who were on four-hour shifts, and they rotate. And what does Paul start doing? He wanted to plant a church in Rome, but through a series of events that I believe God ordained, he ends up not as a church planner in Rome, but as a prisoner in Rome. And God, I, 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 you know, I, I'm just guessing here, but I guess that God said to his heart, you want to preach to a Roman, you're chained to one. You're chained to one. You're chained to one. And so Paul starts preaching to the guards. And it say, he says in the text, uh, in Philippians here, it says that, so that has become known, verse 13, throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. I got four hours with this guy. I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm assuming a lot of these guys were either converting or at least going and sharing what Paul was saying to the point where the entire Imperial Guard, which was 9,000 soldiers, who a lot of these guys ended up being the future politicians. So they were actually um, part of the most influential people in the world at the time, had all heard the gospel and all heard that he was in prison for the gospel. And we also find out that he says here in verse 13 to all the rest, and then in chapter 4 he clarifies that it was even Caesar's household had heard the gospel from him, or at least from others who had heard what he was saying. So in prison, he's able to reach the most influential people with a message of the gospel. So what we would view as a bad situation, what we would view as an extreme low, God is using Paul to do his will nonetheless. And then there's another effect. One effect is that everybody's hearing it in, the, in this Roman household, in the uh, Caesar's household, and in the imperial guard. But then, listen here, he says, 14, And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Doesn't that seem backwards? Doesn't that seem backwards? Paul's in prison. He is basically going to be on trial and it's going to be a death penalty. Yet, people are encouraged by that and are more bold. 
you would think that they would be less bold. Paul's in prison. He's kind of our, our leader. He's, he's kind of the one we're, we're, we're um, copying his church planning methods, right? We've been looking to him and it got him in prison. So maybe, you know, naturally most of us would probably go, well, let's try some different methods than Paul. <laughs> let's try a more subtle approach that won't land us in prison. But no, he says that him being in prison and them hearing about what he's even doing in prison, they go, if he's able to reach all those people from prison, how much more could we do as free people, Right? And so they become more bold, and they're sharing the gospel more and without fear. But then he says, some other stuff is going on. He said in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul gets there, and he is in a house arrest, basically prison, and he's reaching all these people. And I think that some of the pastors, the, the church planners that were in Rome, maybe got jealous. How is he getting to do that when we were here first? And so they started kind of preaching. They're preaching the gospel and they're preaching it correctly, but they were kind of preaching against Paul. Or they were doing things they wouldn't normally do. They're doing it to kind of pull people away from Paul. We don't know exactly what their motives were. We don't know exactly what was going on in their hearts. But it tells us that they were being selfish, they had envy, and that they were preaching out of rivalry. And you know... He says others are preaching it and they have good intention. They're doing a good job. So it's, it's not all of them. But to me, like thinking about that, it's like you're already in prison. You're already not able to do things that you were hoping to do. Your life is on the line. You're going to die. And then to add to it, you have other missionaries and pastors preaching the gospel, but for all the wrong reasons. And they're free and they're out there. Don't you think that would bug Paul? Right? Like if you've been doing it with good intention and somebody else comes in and they're doing it for all the wrong reasons, don't you think that would just make it even more of a low? Just to see these people like, what are they doing? Come on, you guys. You believe the gospel. How can you still be so selfish and have rivalry? Or we're all one in Christ. And I would imagine that would really, really upset me. It would, it would really upset me. But what does Paul say? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And that, in that I rejoice. His attitude is, they're preaching the gospel correctly. So at least the gospel's getting out there, and I'm going to rejoice about that. And just side note, can we not be so harsh when we're judging other churches? Or not judge them at all? <laughs> you know, if they're presenting the gospel correctly, but you, don't, you think they're too showy. Or you think that they don't spend their money correctly. Can we just give them a little bit of a break like Paul would? They're preaching against him. Like he's in prison. He's in this low point. Can we just give a little mercy? And say, you know what? If they're preaching the gospel, I can rejoice in that. Find the positive instead of always looking for the negative in other churches. They're not preaching the gospel. If they're preaching a false gospel, then obviously we need to speak out against that. And protect the truth, the truth of Christ. 
But for the most part, let's just celebrate that there's other churches in Austin and America and all over the world that are preaching the gospel. Amen? So, Paul is in a low, and he's teaching us through this text that God uses the lows to do his work. He's using the lows to do his work. And it makes me think, you know, what things are either going on in our lives right now, have happened in our lives, or will happen in our lives, where if we don't understand this truth, we either did, are, or will miss the opportunity God is actually presenting to you for mission. What thing are you chained to that you don't want to be chained to that God is intending as a mission opportunity that you're viewing as an obstacle that you just need to get out of? Now, it could be anything, right? Maybe you're at a job that you hate. And I'm not saying you shouldn't look for another job. But I'm saying while you are there, are you just so upset about it that you're completely missing the reason you are there? Are you missing the reason that God has placed you in those people's lives? Maybe you have a coworker you can't stand, so you avoid him. But maybe that coworker, maybe you do want to eventually switch offices, and that's fine. The Lord's not saying you have to just be sadistic and look for the bad situation always. But if you're in the bad situation, God has an opportunity there for you, so use it as an opportunity, and you can still hope to get out of the situation. But maybe we're missing all these opportunities. Oftentimes we go, you know, there's the mission. we got to get there. And then along the way, we see these things as walls. You know, maybe Satan, and Satan put them there as a wall, but God wants them to be doors. You know, if you read through the Gospels, and I would challenge you to just do this. You can just kind of skim through some of the Gospels. And look at how many times it says Jesus was on his way to do such and such. And then it's like, and along the way, so and so came out and talked to him more. Along the way, this person stopped him and he healed them. Or along the way, these people came and asked a question and he preached to them. What you'll find if you read the Gospels and if you pay attention to Jesus' um, mission style, it's actually that of interruption and it's actually that of distraction. Most of the things he did, were all, he was not his goal, right? Now he's... God, he probably knew everything that was going on and all that. But if you think about it, along our way to do our thing, there's always interruptions and distractions. And maybe God is putting them there for us to minister. But we are it's like, no, 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 I got to go here. I got to go do my plan. And God's like, I'm putting him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity right in front of you. And you're viewing him as interruptions and distractions and not opportunities. You know, oftentimes I am guilty of this. I'm so focused on the future thing I want to do. I'm missing everything that God wants me to do right here. And what happens is since you're not obeying God here, he doesn't even bring that thing around. You never even get there. As a church plan, that's what we are. I, I hope that we can learn from this text that mission is along the way. It's not the thing you're dreaming about. And I'm not saying you won't get there. I'm not saying that you, that won't happen. But oftentimes, all of the mission, all of your memorable stories, and when you're old, like my grandpa who's in town, and tell me all these awesome stories, most of the time they're distractions. 
It wasn't I had crafted this perfect pet plan and we achieved it and it was amazing. I bet that when you're 80, those will oftentimes not be the stories you tell. It'll be the distractions, the lows that God used for, for good. But not if we don't, not if we don't want to look at them that way. If we want to ignore that. Paul got to go to Rome, just not the way he planned. Paul was um, killed for the gospel. Thought he would go there as a pastor, church planner, end up there as a prisoner, and end up dying. And a lot of times we um, are too focused on the future. We miss everything that God has for us right here. And if we start seeing obstacles as opportunities, we start looking at what we're chained to and say, this is, until that chain is broken, I'm going to preach the gospel right here. Until God frees me from this, I'm going to preach the gospel right here. Um, if we do that, we can start to be like James and Peter when they wrote in their letters this. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is using those things to really mold your heart, to build your faith, to bring you out more sanctified at the end. First Peter, Peter says something very similar. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, when we realize that God is going to show us everything at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's all going to make sense. It'll all make sense. When we begin to realize that, we can start celebrating even our trials. We can start having joy even in our trials. And he says, well, we're going to grieve. Like, you know, we're not sadistic. We don't enjoy pain. That's not the Christian life, right? And it's not that you can't try to find a better job. And it's not that you um, aren't trying to move on and get to a goal. But in the trials, which happen in all of our lives, God is presenting opportunities that he doesn't want us to meet, uh, to miss. But instead, I want to begin living my life like Paul, where it's like, I wanted to reach Romans, and I've got one chained to me. I can't get away from him, but he can't get away from me. <laughs> you know? If you have that mindset, I'm in this room with this coworker eight hours a day. I can't get out of here, but they can't get out of here either. <laughs> you know? Uh, if we started having that mindset, we would be a lot more effective in our mission. And if you look, it's the way that Paul did a lot of his ministry. It's the way that Christ did a lot of his ministry. There are things that they set and planned, and they did, and were successful. But there are a lot more things that were interruptions, distractions, obstacles that were actually all opportunities. Did you guys hear about, uh, what do they call it? Um, Housegate here in Austin? (laughs) The house that got stuck in the middle of the road. Right? I thought I painted that house. Like, when I first heard about it, I was like, I hadn't seen the pictures yet. I was like, I think I painted the house. Like, because I painted for this house a little while ago in that same area in South Austin. It was this dumpy little house. She had me paint the whole inside. And she redid her cabinets and stuff. She was going to start running out. But she kept saying, this property is worth so much, and this house is worth next to nothing. I want to move it to my other property and build a new house here. And she kept saying that. She had said it to me like five times. 
So when I heard about it, I was like, oh my gosh, did Castellan move her house and it's stuck in the middle of the road? I was like, I'm going to have to like email her about this. This is hilarious. But then I looked at the pictures and I was like, it looked kind of like it, but it wasn't the house. Anyways, Housegate. Did you guys see that video? I think I shared it. Jay shared it. Or the guy was like, it's kind of a joke, but he was, he's running a haunted house out of the house, right? That guy is what you would call an opportunist, <laughs> right? He's like, uh, got this random empty house that everyone is hearing about in Austin. I'm just going to run a haunted house out of it for a day or two and make some change, right? That guy's an opportunist. And in some sense, we should learn to be more of an opportunist for the gospel. Now, I do want to talk about the difference between an opportunist and a visionary. An opportunist, the Oxford Dictionary defines as this, the practice of looking for and using opportunities to gain an advantage for oneself without considering if um, it's fair or right. So we're not an opportunist looking for opportunities to glorify ourselves in the moment with no real plan. A visionary is unlike an opportunist. A visionary not only finds opportunities, but they are able to sustain a vision, a direction. A visionary is able to differentiate, sorry, differentiate between opportunities of the moment and sustainable opportunities for the future. A visionary is an opportunist, but an opportunist is not a visionary. Here's the thing. We're not just opportunists looking for, oh, I'm going to preach the gospel just so I feel good, right? We're looking for opportunities that really are in line with God's ultimate mission and for the gospel to get out there. But God is always presenting opportunities. He's always presenting opportunities. And if we have the right mindset, we have the right vision, the gospel and Jesus' return where everything's going to make sense, every low, every trial, Every obstacle, every interruption, every distraction, we have that lens and the spirit living with us, leading us, becomes actually the opportunities that lead us to the mission and help us get to the place that God has for us in our life and actually build us up as believers. So let's be visionaries. We can't be so dead set on our plans that we miss what God's doing in our life right now. I mean, church, I have done this so many times in my life. I can't tell you how many times. Where I'm so focused on what I'm trying to achieve, and God's got all these people around me that I'm not ministering to. Maybe I should answer it instead of the gospel. (laughs) You see what I'm saying, though? There is absolutely this element of distraction in mission. And I hope that we become aware of it and begin to use it for God's mission. And what we'll find is that we receive that joy and peace. Because every now we're getting excited about trials. Like, all right, Lord, I'm here. Like, what do you want to do? This is fun. This is exciting. Changes our whole attitude towards life, doesn't it? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, Thank you for all that you have done in our church. Thank you for the highs and lows that you've taken through us, um, taken us through, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that we would learn to see the opportunities before us, 
as a church, you know, when we have events that work and events that don't, when we have weeks that are full and weeks that are empty, but Lord, more importantly, so much more importantly, God, in our own personal lives, as we gather, but we more importantly, we also scatter out into this city, we see that all the lows are just as much of opportunities as the highs. And that if we would just just realize it, take joy in it, and fight through it, you would, you would just be accomplishing your mission through our lives. All of our lives, not just the parts we would pick. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.